Hello? Hello? Hi. Ron hit the wrong button, and so it cut the show off and started the new show. Peter's calling back in. Just got to give me a second to... I wasn't paying attention. It's all good. Easy fix. It sure is. Oh, is that Peter? I think Peter's back. I turned his mic on. <laughs> Hello, Peter. Yes. Thank you for calling. I know it was a little inconvenient. Uh, uh, we, we work through these technical situations sometimes. We know this. We have an important message to put out to the world. And uh, sometimes we know that there's uh, somebody out there, an entity that doesn't want this message to go out. But I know there's a scripture that says, when I send something, when the Lord sends something, it shall not go out. It'll go out and it'll accomplish why He sent it, and it won't return to Him void. The message is always fulfilled, and so we run and op- operate on that scripture. And uh, so I'm thankful, I'm so grateful that you're able to come back. Mary's here, Len Kane's here. Other people may come be calling back in too as we go here, but we really appreciate. We are still broadcasting on all our, our um, platforms. So thank you, Peter Hadley, for coming on back. Okay, no problem. Mary, you Welcome, want to take everybody. this away? Sure. So thank this episode is Heroic Chronicles. This is a new series just launched. And what we do on this show is we're unveiling the veil, the valor. We are talking to individuals soldiers, first responders, everyday people who ended up in super situations. And these people are the ones that survive or experience these situations that change the way our world is shaped. It changes how our viewpoints are made. And today I have the pleasure to talk to a gentleman as a child survived the Battle of the Bulge. One of the, a few surviving members of a train car incident when he was being shipped to a safe space. And I'd love for you all to listen to the story and hear what he has to say, ask questions. Peter Hadley, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing very well, Mary. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I love listening to your story. It's one of those stories I can hear over and over again. <laughs> so <laughs> I I like stories and I like history and I love hearing it from firsthand people that experienced it. Listen, we're not sharing our stories anymore. And when we do share them, we either make them the fish that got away story or, you know, and our history is going to repeat itself if we don't get these stories out and get people to share things and understand what life was like. So that I is what to I... share your story. Go ahead. Well, I, I won't start with Once Upon a Time, then. How's that? <laughs> that works. Otherwise, you can add that part. I mean, you know, that part of the history, that part of the world, every, 
nursery rhyme and story that we know started out as Once Upon a Time, and they were all based on true stories. Just a variation of it. Yes. I'm going to set off like I did with you Monday night for the people who are listening the same way. Uh, I have uh, shared my story many, many times. In fact, when I worked at the city of Tanawanda uh, for the last 14 years that I worked at that school district near Buffalo, New York, uh, I shared it with uh, eighth graders for the 14 years, so that was well over two to 3,000 students in that period of time. But I'd always start with having the kids stand up, in the class stand up, and then I would do this. I would say, are you wearing earrings? Do you have uh, jewelry hanging on? Do you Are you wearing a shirt that has writing on it? Uh, are you wearing shoes or sneakers and so forth? And I'd have them sit down if they were, met those questions that way. And by the time I was all done, I would ask the students, and what did we just go through? And they would give me, start thinking about it and said, well, you, you discriminated against us or something like that. And I says, well, it's, it's kind of like an ethnic cleansing. And a good way of illustrating uh, how discriminatory I could be, uh, I presented to Mary's class last Monday night, and I asked the kids there, I says, you have your favorite teams, but how would you like to be wearing the New York Giants football shirt every day to school and everything else like that? And they sounded very disgruntled about that. And I said, well, back in the 30s, uh, a group of people were discriminated that way. And Martin um, Neumeller, who was a submarine captain in World War One, and he was a very proficient sub, uh, destroyer of ships that were being transported uh, uh, stuff to the countries that they wanted things done. And he became a pastor during the 30s, and he realized that something different was changing. And he wrote the, these phrases, I was a con- they came for the communists, I wasn't a communist, I didn't speak up. They came for the unionists, I wasn't a unionist, and they didn't. And I didn't speak up. They came for uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, and I wasn't a Jehovah Witness, and I didn't speak up. And he went down a whole list of different type of people that they came for and took away. Now remember, the Jewish people had to wear the cross, this star of David. And so they were identified who they were. And the Germans did come and take them. Well, Neumeller's finishing words were, they came for me and there was nobody. And as Santana said one time, he said, and Mary quoted it pretty well as far as in the beginning here, that if we don't remember history, it's going to repeat itself. And we are repeating history now because people have wanted to change what is going on in history. So then after I got done with that and I told them it was ethnic cleansing, (coughs) compared that with the Star of David with the Jews and that the Germans were eliminating the Jews by Auschwitz and the other gas chambers or through the processes of just shooting them and letting them drop into open pits. And interesting enough, these open pits were 
all around Europe, and a lot of them are still trying to be found today, 70 years later, to find out because there's mass graves throughout Europe of people who were assassinated. Illustration would be good. The latest Czechoslovakia had uh, two Czechoslovakians come in and kill a German officer while the Germans were in the t- in the area. And so the Germans came in and brought all the families out and everything, and they brought all the kids, 100 of them. And they picked out eight of the kids that looked like met the qualifications. They didn't have to sit down. They didn't have to sit down because they had blonde hair and blue eyes. They fit the Aryan race qualification that Adolf Hitler was trying to have grow so he could rule for a thousand years. And so they took them. And I'd ask the students, what do you think happened to the other 92 students? They shot them. They put them in front of a pit and shot them and let them fall into the pit. And then they took some of the families and did the same thing. So that was that. And then the second thing I did in the class, I would go to four kids and I would say, what is your name? How old are you? When were you born? And do you know your family's name, your parents? And I'd have them ask me the same question. So they'd ask my, my name and I'd say, I don't know. How old are you? I don't know. When's your birthday? I haven't the slightest idea. Do you know your parents' names? No. And at that point, then, I would say, I was found in a boxcar in a captured train by Allied troops in Germany, southern Germany, and I was one of 50 kids that were in that box, one particular boxcar, and there were only 20 of us left left alive when the, uh, the troops found it. And I can honestly look back today, and I've gone through and seen a lot of the vets wearing their hats, and I was a vet here and a vet there, and I'd shake their hands and say, thank you so very much. And they'd look at me and say, well, thank you. And I says, for your commitment, because your commitment was the same type of commitment that was done back in World War II with all the young guys and gals that got involved with World War II and helping us keep our country safe and free from Nazism. And because of those World War II veterans, I'm here today sharing my story with you today. And then uh, as the class period went on, I would uh, share some of the things that happened through my growing up years of being adopted, first being adopted, and the fact that I was aware of the uh, stigma of adoption because of the fact that adoptions back then was like unwed mothers. Uh, having to give up the kids and uh, mixed marriages and uh, and other things that would cause uh, having adoptions. Uh, but it did not bother me because I had a couple who were too old at that time, and I have to explain to the kids in society how society today thinks about things. Back in the, the late 40s, if you were 40 years old, you were too old to adopt. My parents did not meet that criteria. They were 40 and over. And yet they allowed them to adopt me, and they became my parents. Uh, and then, in, uh, and that was in '49. And in 1951, I became the youngest person in Western New York to become a naturalized citizen, which was a wonderful honor to have. 
people have asked about my birth date and so forth, and I've had fun with uh, the older people because I do not have a birth certificate. And it was interesting reading, uh, rereading uh, uh, an attorney that represented my folks in the adoption process and so forth, and he stated in, in his letter to my folks, the State Department of Vital Statistics advises that there is no way at the present time of registering the birth of Peter at this present time. And years later, uh, our attorney tried to see about adopting and so forth, getting a birth certificate, and lo and behold, guess what? New York State doesn't give a birth certificate to anybody that's over 18 years old. So I would have fun with the kids talking to them about that and saying, well, I guess I can't die because I don't have a birth certificate to prove that I was born. But without having the birth certificate that led into a story about how I went for my driver's test and I passed everything when I signed up to get my permit and then when I went for the final driving test, the driver would not let me take the test because I did not have a birth certificate. And as it turned out, my dad went downtown into Buffalo, talked to the DMV, explained the whole thing to him. The next day, I was back there with a different instructor, and I took the driver's test and passed. So I, I could equate with the teenagers at that time, with the 10th and 11th grade kids that, I would talk, that I've spoken to since retiring and, and sharing that. And then, of course, they'd ask questions about uh, – have I done any DNA? We, uh, one of the teachers out in Holland, New York, uh, the kids raised some money and, and got uh, me the money to have a DNA testing. And the final answer to those kids and, and sharing with them is it's like looking for a needle in a haystack without a magnet because there's too much history involved in my DNA because the coverage uh, came from. Denmark all the way down to Turkey with matches and so forth, but nobody could tell me that they knew somebody that lost their child and was on a train heading somewhere. And so my story can't be told uh, as far as family and so forth, and that's why at the end of the war they were unable to find anybody that knew me. And when we contacted the Polish uh, embassy in Poland, uh, the American embassy, and they checked it with the name Peter Schreiner, there was no record. So I'm very thankful that these things didn't come up because the fact over the years, a couple wanted to adopt me. I have felt very comfortable with who I am and the love that I've had and the opportunities that I've had throughout the years. And then I'd leave, uh, leave open opportunities for whatever group of people, high school students, uh, junior college pe people, uh, men's breakfasts, and, and other places that I've spoken to. And it's been a joy just sharing. And I've always had a chuckle, how old were you when? Because they would forget that I couldn't give them how old I was. The answer to that question was it was a legal documentation on my uh, adoption paper and also the uh, citizenship paper that I got in 1951 saying my birth date was July 30th, 1943. And a good side story to that is my mom's mother was a dentist 
one of the first ones in Wisconsin, and she looked at my teeth, and I, t I teased the kids because I'd say, I'd start talking, you know how the vets look at the animal's teeth, so it gives them the vision that she might be looking at my teeth the same way. And she said, give or take six months either way from four, 43 of July earlier or later. That's how they were pretty close on it. So that's the basics of what I've done. Uh, the different things have uh, been very thankful for what I've uh, experienced throughout life. And the kids ask what my experience I've had. Well, when I worked at Tanawanda, I was the media coordinator. We were getting into closed-circuit television for all of the classrooms, and so that was my responsibility to teach the kids how to run cameras and uh, also to get to make sure that all of the TVs were working through working with BOCES, which we have a good, had a group of people here. So I will hold off and let you ask any questions you want to ask. Sorry, I didn't realize my phone was muted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just opening it up, and if anybody wanted to ask questions, they were free to do so. So, you know, one of the questions, and I know you've answered it for me a couple different times, but, you know, through all this, you are very positive, very optimistic, you know. Did you ever struggle with, like, figuring out who you are and, like, your sense of identity through all this? I never had the insecurity. A uh, couple of times people have, uh, I've, I've thought, well, what if, and so forth. But uh, different readings I've had and, and information from World War II is very sparse in a lot of areas, and so... I have felt that uh, I'm very secure with what I have, and I don't need to worry about what's what and who and where back in Europe and everything. And people have asked me, in fact, uh, on the show previous, to ask if I would go back. And I, no, I'm not interested in going back. Probably the only thing that would take me back is, and I mentioned in, in the show with you on Monday night, that Leidich Czechoslovakia were the... Uh, Students uh, were killed all those uh, 92, and seeing their names on the internet that just brought tears to my eyes. Maybe going back and seeing that memorial would be more impressive to me than anything else. Otherwise, I have no interest going back to Europe. You know, the sad part is, is you know, you and me have talked about this, you know, off the air. What you went through as a child is so similar to what's going on right now at the Gaza Strip. And this is kind of the inspiration to the sh this show was, you know, stories like yours and stories of survival and what's going on now are continuing and repeating itself. Yes, and it is very it is very hard. One of the junior you reminded me one of the junior classes that I went to speak uh, down in Olean, uh, Arcade, New York. I was asked that question: Do I hate the Germans for what they've done and so forth? And I says I have no hatred for them because uh, it's I have no, had no control over it, and it's death and under the circumstances that I have read is very awesome and, and that's why when I spoke at the 
veteran ceremonies a few years ago in Wales Center that uh, one of the servicemen came up to me afterwards and he says, I'm glad you mentioned that war is hell, and that's exactly what's happening. And the older you are, the harder the experience, and it's amazing uh, talking to some of the Jewish people and reading about them. Some of them still cannot get over what happened to them back at Auschwitz and so forth compared to looking ahead and saying, thank God I'm alive and there's something that I still can do. And those aren't the people who are talking about the stories that you get to read in some of the books because those are the ones who are motivated to share the history that they had. Uh, The Dyer Van Frank and uh, this uh, Russian lady who had a a Holocaust uh, diary that she wrote, and and it was very, very interesting, and Corey Ten Boom as far as, and how they do it. And then if you've seen uh, uh, one of the, uh, there was a hundred children or something like that, Lana and a hundred children, and how she took care of kids during World War II and and the occupation of the Germans, and how they got free and so forth. Those are inspiring, and those should be ones in which they could look back just like we are looking forward to this coming Thursday and saying, this is Thanksgiving. I have something really to be thankful for. And if we have that kind of mindset, I think we could look through a lot of the bad things that have happened. I had a, a one of the students that I, in front of my granddaughter uh, when I shared down in uh, arcade one of the schools down that way that uh, he was adopted and we talked afterwards and he wanted to know how to approach life because sometimes the adoption is uh, a terrible experience it's just like getting a a pet and if you get a a pet or a dog or a cat that has been abused it's hard to get it to settle down but if you've had a dog or a cat that has survived the, what they've done and are thankful and grateful for what is that you can be able to work with that and train it to be a very loving pet as well. So we are no different as human beings. I love how you, you talk about that and say that. You know, humans are humans. We all make mistakes. And when you talk about, you know, what the Germans did and what soldiers do, you know, we get a bad rap because things happen. But also, you know, especially during that time period, blaming the lower soldiers, they, Germany was very evil. And by that, I mean like Hitler and the higher up. And people don't realize and understand that, you know, the Americans and our and Europeans and a lot of the way we do things is different. Over there, Hitler, if you didn't follow orders and do what you're supposed to do, they didn't just go after you. They went after your whole family. And so you had that moral conflict and that what do you do? Do you follow the orders or and your family lives or do you survive and not follow orders and your family dies? Or they and people don't look you. at things like that. That's I'm correct. Sorry, I was reading, I was reading an article uh, just the other day about a, a U.S. Army group that was captured after the Battle of the Bulge by the Germans, 
and uh, there was about a, a thousand of them. And one of the German officers came up to the leading person. And he says, I want you to tell me who the Jewish people are in this group. And all of the guy did was give his name, rank, and serial number with the gun at his head, knowing that he probably would have it be dead. And the German officer did the same thing several times, and finally he walked away. Well, the blessing of that story turned out that there were two, 200 Jewish people there in that group of soldiers. And since that time, there have now been 2,000 more Jewish kids from that time, the generations over the last few years. And it doesn't have to be Jewish. It just tells you that sometimes it's very difficult to decide whether or not to not give your name, rank, and serial number and just be ready for the gun to be shot or to give in. But I, I also know from reading that the person liked that situation, if he gave in, it would be on his conscience for the rest of his life. And it's you, so you, hard to judge people when they don't, aren't in a situation like that or trained in those situations. You know, when yeah. I went through training before my deployment, we had that hammered into our head. And we literally did um, role-playing to the point that, you know, that scenario, what you do, just so that you know what to do and just instinct cut, kicks in. But it's so hard. It's hard to keep the personality uh, away from the projection that you were trained to do, but you know that there is a consequence one way or the other, and which is the worst one of the two. Well, I remember in high school, I used to tell the story about um, to try and, I don't know, they're trying to set us up. I think this is this was back in the 60s. The education was just starting to, we were being actually, I believe, infiltrated back then. And they said, well, if there's three in the boat and there's only enough water for two, who's going to, who do you sacrifice? Who do you throw in the water? You know, choosing, having kids to make those kind of choices, to consider it, to put that in their brain. What they're doing is they're, they were teaching us that there was, it was okay, somebody had to survive, and if it wasn't you, it's okay, but if it's you, well, it doesn't matter, because the whole idea is not that there was worth in the individual. What is the single greatest aspect, and I just don't understand how our media, how our churches, the difference between them and us is that we value every single individual life. And the reason we have so much turmoil is because there are people out there that don't value an individual. They have a cause, and their cause is more important than the individual. That's how people justify killing babies. I ran into that situation uh, uh, when I was at Tonawanda. We had a Bible study in the morning and one of the students came up to me during the day and told me exactly the same kind of story you just said that they were reading a book about the people there were 10 people on a boat and what they were doing was describing each person what their background was and there wasn't enough food and water to feed all 10 who do we throw over 
and and the girl was completely confused as a young Christian girl would be. And, and I said, you know, this is situation ethics, and this is where people are trying to say life is not valuable. You just determine about what kind of background they are. Well, we look at the scriptures, Ron, and, and we say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But let's read the verse after. Jesus didn't come to destroy the world or condemn the world. He came to save the sinner. And guess what? We're all sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. And yet, that is what God does looking at each one of us. He sees our faults, but he attends to our needs. And our need is that we need a Savior. And so he is saying that the people that he created in his own image are valuable. And that's every single one of us. Yes. Well, and that's I, the hard part to remember. It is. And uh, I wrote a, Ryan, I don't know if you read uh, yesterday something. I, I, I haven't put it out and it's still in the tray. I got to go get it. Okay. Well, I was approached by one of the other readers, and he said, you know, that is a hard, hard decision. And and we're not to judge people, Matthew tells us that, because if we do, we're going to be judged by our own standards, which are our own standards are flawed because we're human. And and they were talking about how do we not have an eye for an eye, but how we are to study and show ourselves approved, how we're supposed to surrender our lives and, and commit our ways to a higher value. And when a service person is taught that this is the goal of what we're supposed to be doing, and if we surrender and give up information, we fail what our mission is supposed to be. And God wants us to not fail in our mission to go for the prize because we're running that race. We're not running against anybody else. We're running to get it. And I'll use it as an example. A few years ago, I covered the Special Olympics one time at, at ECC here in, in uh, Orchard Park. And one girl, her legs didn't move at all from her hips all the way down. She had to swim four lengths of the pool, Olympic-sized mm. pool. And she was in a race. But you know the Special Olympics. She was several lengths behind. She finished that race, and the crowd was roaring for her like crazy, as if she won when she finally touched. Well, she won the race. That's the race God's telling us. Mm -hmm. We're running the race of life, and we can have it more abundantly if we have it in him. Yes, we do have the speed bumps of life. We have the challenges. I'm not denying that because I do have that. Decisions I have to make. Do I make the right decisions? And all I can do is trust in God in making those right decisions for the betterment of my family, but also for myself and my relationship to God. Because if I carry an anger in my heart, guess what? The Holy Spirit can't work with me. I've lost communication with God because of that anger. And uh, I'm not here to to preach, but I'm sharing what I've learned through growing up, and I've had the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ 
uh, after I graduated from high school. And, was, and I know that God had a purpose in my life, and that's why I've, uh, Alice and I, we, we've enjoyed it when I started saying, everybody has a story. And then about a year later, we started hearing it on the radio and other things, you know, every, because everybody does have a story, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, what Mary's gone through, I don't know if I would have gone, been able to go on through. She was given the grace to go through it and, and, and has what she has in her heart today because of it. Yes, so we're so thankful. So thankful. Well, Mary, I, um, I have a appointment that I have to uh, leave our show, the show for, but I do want to thank you for making arrangements and helping, having it so that we can continue the show. Peter, you have an open invitation to be on the call on any given day, on any given show, because everything you experience and everything in who you are fits every single one of those shows are broadcasts. So I always want you to know that there's, you can just, if you're not doing anything, you got to, uh, Alice is out with a uh, girl's day out to, for lunch or shopping. And uh, you want, you want to get on the phone, you're free to call in anytime. I want you to know that. And Mary, we may have a call on you to do other shows and we appreciate your willingness to share your story in your heart. Well, it's my pleasure, Mary. It's also open to you if you want me back again. Oh, you! And, I want. Yeah, you can come on every day. <laughs> and uh, uh, we had talked about the. <laughs> excuse me. We had talked about the email. If you could send me his email, if you're going to go that route. I am, and I will get that and send it to you on Monday, and I'm finishing up. I wanted to wait to send you the email about Monday after today. So okay. I could do one email. Did you get my, did you get my get email? Did you get my email? I'll tell you in one minute. Okay. It had to do with the uh, several books and some uh, websites that could be gotten. And I will mention also one more thing for your history. Did you know there was a Holocaust in North Africa? Yes. During I World didn't War know II? that till recently. Yeah. And there's a fantastic story about that, and it's contradictory to what is going on in the Middle East today. I will share it to you real quickly. The Germans got into uh, this certain town, and there was everybody in that one building and so forth, and they came in and says, are there any Jews here? And the Arab leader said, we're all brothers here, thank you. And they turned around and left, and half of the people there were Jews. True story. It is. It's, you know, I'd love to get you on and coming up when you have free time on another one of these shows and talk about that part of it, but also the part about, you know, Stalin and about the mass graves over there that we don't talk about and how Stalin is revered as such a great leader. Yeah, he killed more than uh, Hitler did. Yep. And that all started back in, what, around 1916, 17, and so forth. The Bolshevik Revolution. 
Well, anytime, yep. please contact me, and uh, if we can swing a time at that when you would like, I will. We'll see what we can do. I'll be glad to do awesome. that for it's you. My, it'd be my pleasure. <laughs> I did get your well, email, been, by the way, sir. You did, okay. I gave I gave you some I, ISBN numbers on some of the books because I had them, but other ones I did not have them. And then there were some websites that I had uh, that I thought you might be lo- interested in looking at. Yes, I'm going to check that out this weekend. Enjoy Thank your weekend, you so and if we don't, and if we don't talk beforehand, have a very nice, thankful Thanksgiving. You too. Keep being a blessing, Mary. Thank you for. You too. So join us next week at this time as we talk to another legend that lived a tale of history, so we don't forget what's going on. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Peter. And join us back okay. here. On Monday, for for Hometown Heroes. Bye for now. Bye.